We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up? Kyle LeVert time. Yes, I'm pumped. Karis LeVert season preview coming up. Obviously, we completed Kyrie Irving already. If you want to check that out, hit up iTunes, Block Talk Radio, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, Google Play, and YouTube. Also, you want to cop a Brooklyn Buzz tee, head to Design Tree slash Off the Glass. Use OTG5 as a discount code. Save yourself five bucks. But let's dive into Karis LeVert, who had a really interesting season. And, you know, you and I were talking about it. It was pretty much a three-part season. You know, had the pre-injury where he was kind of coming on the scene, looked like most improved candidate, then the recovery period and then the back to the rise, which we saw in the playoffs. So regular season numbers, 13.7 points per game, 3.8 rebounds, 3.7 assists, 42% from the field, 31% from three, and that was in 40 games. But the postseason numbers, a lot better, 21 points per game, 4.6 rebounds, three assists, one steal, almost six free throws a game, almost 50% from the field, and 46% from three. Yeah, I mean, those postseason numbers uh, are are outstanding, Nick, and I think that – when we saw that, um, I know I left uh, America, I think around game four or game five. And I remember watching uh, at LAX, just the form that Karras was showing and that confidence. And I think confidence has always been a big thing for him. And I think that it, that postseason perform and performing in on the biggest stage is going to hold him in good stead. And it's why, you know, the Sean Marks rewarded him with that three-year contract. And, you know, it might have been a discount, but it, it is also life-changing money for a guy like him uh, and life and life-changing money in general so uh, his form and like you said the three-part sort of season you know pre-injury he was averaging um 18.4 points 3.7 assists and 4.3 rebounds um you know i think we'll eventually get to you know our stats prediction uh, but then it was obviously post-injury when he sort of struggled a little bit you know we saw the uh the difficulty uh, with the bobblehead night i remember 
popping on to Twitter and like you have your personalized sort of trending. And I've just had the Karis bobblehead and said, Brooklyn Nets player averages, gets zero points in his bobblehead. And I'm like, at least call him by his name. I say Karis yeah. Levert. It's just like Brooklyn Nets players. Like, do you, uh, Twitter wants me to be click worthy? Um, but yeah, that, that I think it's it was just such a, a dramatic season in so many ways with the injury, with the ups and downs, um, with, you know, sort of putting himself on the scene, the game winners. Um, as preparation, a couple of days ago, I was listening to uh, the season review uh, where we had Will on and it's sort of like, oh yeah, this is what happened. I remember all this stuff and I was just like, wow, it was such a, a whirlwind season for Carol Savert. But now... Um, I think the best thing is that he's going into an offseason with some consistency, um, with some good chemistry with um, the stars on the mar- on on the new stars on the roster, um, and hopefully he gets off to another really good start to the season. Yeah, and you mentioned it. You know, it's just such a weird season that injury, and you know, we thought at the time of it that he'd be out for the season for sure. And I think it was such a you know a great thing for him and his confidence and the confidence in his body to come back last year and be able to kind of find his groove in the regular season. Then by the time the postseason came, he was able to kind of get back to that level we saw earlier in the year. So really a lot of resiliency from him because most players, if they get an injury like that, you know, there's a good chance you won't see them that season or you won't see them perform at a high level. And I think it'd be easy to say in the postseason he was the Nets' best player. Oh, he was easily the Nets' best player. Um, you know, I think that D'Angelo had his moments. Spencer was good. Um, Ed Davis, when he was healthy, was tremendous. Uh, but Karasovic really put his foot down and was like, I'm going to lead these guys and um, really sort of step up. And, you know, he earned the minutes. Um, you know, he, he showed flashes in that game one, uh, and then he sort of just took it with him and he just ran with it. And I think that... The best players, you know, I say this quite a bit on the pod and, you know, on general NBA pods like JBT and the outlet. The best players step up in the biggest moments and the biggest moments are in the clutch time and in the playoffs. Um, and you make a name for yourself there. You know, I'm pretty sure that that's some sort of marketing campaign that NBA or NFL or whatever sport has had. You know, this is where names are made. This is where, you know, dreams are made. This is where history is made. And Kautzevitz already done it. So I think that the Nets make the postseason next year. Um is going to have another big one. Um, but, you know, we're looking forward to the regular season, the preseason, and um, what he can do, what he can improve, and, and we're going to go uh, nice and deep into that one. Yeah, for sure. So, Jack, before we uh, move on to the next season, success or disappointment last year? Oh, it was success. You know, obviously, you can look at it in any way you want, but, you know, to come, I think, if you're looking at it just from a plain, simple perspective, he came back from a pretty devastating injury. Obviously, it wasn't as devastating as we thought. I remember... It was probably the most depressing uh, Brooklyn Buzz we'd ever done following yeah. that, uh, that, that, uh, that Timberwolves game. I remember we were just so down. Uh, but the fact that he could get back from it and show, like you said, sensational playoff form, uh, it can't be anything but a success. There'll be people that'll argue that's like, oh, he only played 40 games. Well, the quality of those 40 games that he was out there and for me, the quality of the five games in the playoffs. If he had have just played those five games in the playoffs at that standard after injury, I would have considered it a success almost. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, if he didn't get back to the level we saw early in the year, I could see someone saying it's a disappointment because of the injury. But the fact is he got back to playing at a really, really high level in the postseason, super efficient. I think you really just can't call it a disappointment. So definitely a success for me. But let's talk about some of the strengths of Karis LeVert's game. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always intrigued. When I start with strengths, I'm always intrigued to hear what, what you come back with. But I've got, um, we're obviously, obviously going to overlap. I've got driving, I've got his footwork, pace and creating space, uh, passing in the pick and roll and down low, his defensive acumen, uh, his ability to read passing lasers as a defender, 
creating his own shot in general. Um, his assist percentage, so I, I went on cleaning the glass and take, took a look at some uh, advanced stats. His assist percentage, so the percentage of teammates that made shots on his assists so were, was in the 95th percentile, so the quality Ooh. of his passing uh, and forcing opponent turnovers, he's in the 87th percentile. So I think that in terms of reading the passing lanes, we know that he's our best defender. I did the defensive breakdown for netsrepublic.com uh, and he's, I'm just really excited. It's weird because I'm almost more excited to see what he can do as a defender next season than as an offensive player, which is um, an odd thing to say. Yeah, and it's uh, you forget about it because I think you know you think you look at the offensive numbers and they really popped off. But if you go back to look at that pre-injury, there were some really big moments for him defensively against some really good guards in the NBA. And like you said, the active hands really stick out. He's one guy in the nets that you know gets the deflections, and that's what you want defensively disrupt the other team. But I mean, you covered a lot of them. I'm just going to go through my whole list, and like you said, there'll be some overlap. So driving ability, creating interior passing, pick and roll play, pull up three, finishing through contact and contorting his body. You know his hand are very good he'll drop players every once in a while active hands defensively on ball defense I think he's a team player you know he's a guy that everybody on the team really likes and I think people kind of forget about that and we'll talk about that more later his crossover is nice you mentioned the footwork is disgusting his pump fake game is really good and I think yeah. we think D'Angelo Russell like that pump fake game is disgusting but Karras has some nice pump fake game especially in that in-between area not the mid-range but not a layup so he's good in that area too and his ability to kind of score on some of the best in the game, and then also that hesitation move and then the sneaky speed. We probably missed something, but I think we got most of it. Uh, I mean, someone please hit us up on Twitter if we forgot something. We covered literally almost all facets of, of Karis Levert's game. But, you know, the thing I wanted to touch on before we move on to his weaknesses, Nick, was that pull-up three. Um, another video breakdown I did for Nets Republic was on that three-point shot because, you know, we'll be getting to the improvements and such, and we'll obviously touch on it. But that is his best form of three-point shooting. Now, that pull-up three from the top of the arc, that's where he looks smoothest. That's where his shot mechanics look best. Uh, and going back throughout the the entire season, looking at the playoffs, uh, looking at the regular season, he looks most comfortable taking that pull-up three. Um, and obviously, most players are better off to catch and shoot, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how that pull-up three continues um, and how the percentages increase. And I guess it sort of leads nicely into the weaknesses and improvements. Yeah, and you mentioned it earlier, confidence is a big part of Karras' game, and you can tell the confidence in the pull-up three compared to the spot-up three. And like you said, getting to the weaknesses, one of them is the spot-up three. What else do you got weakness-wise, though? Yeah, so three-point shooting, uh, free-throw shooting, which I think is correlated. You know, you look at the, I think I said this on JBT yesterday when I was talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, with Nick and we were talking about his three-point shooting. If you're an 80% plus three-point shooter, it's, there's probably a high likelihood that you are going to be a 38% or above three-point shooter. You know, Stephen Curry, Paddy Mills, Kevin Durant, these guys shoot like 90 plus percent uh, from the free-throw line. And Karis Avert, you know, was under 70%. Um, and I know that's a number that I would like to get a lot higher. And I think when we talk about a stat prediction, um, if it does, I think that's going to be reflective in his three-point shooting as well. Uh, I think that correlation has been made plenty of times by plenty of NBA experts. Uh, in terms of his scoring, I think just becoming more of an effective scorer. You know, his uh, effective field goal percentage was, was poor last year. And I think, you know, you look at stats with a grain of salt, but to be under 50% in the effective field goal percentage... At 47.8%, it is 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 poor. It's subpar, and it needs to be better. As as a career, he's not even at 50% either. I think that hitting his free throw shots, uh, hitting a few more threes, is naturally going to bring that to around the 53, 55% mark. 
Um, and that's an easy way of doing it. You know, you hit your free throws, it naturally adds to your effective field goal and true shooting percentage. Um, obviously, you judge stats uh, as a whole, but I think that, you know, looking at him as an effective scorer, those two little things can really help him because we know how good he is at driving. We know how good he is at creating space and pump faking, all those little things. Um, he just needs to improve those two parts of his game as a scorer, and he's going to probably improve dramatically. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of that, too, is some of the numbers being pre, uh, post-injury. You know, if you look at his pre-injury numbers, I think the free throw percentage isn't quite as bad. And obviously, the effective field goal percentage isn't as bad because his field goal percentage before he got injured was around 47 or 48 percent. So it was really high. It's it's really tough to gauge his season from last year because of the ups and downs. And, you know, there was games when he came back from injury, he was bad. You know, he wasn't good. He was trying to still find his rhythm. But I agree. I think the free throw percentage definitely can be higher, especially for a guy like I mentioned. Got to the free throw line almost six times a game during the postseason. So if you're going to be there a lot, you need to make those free throws. Obviously, spot up three-point shooting is going to be huge, especially with the personnel that the Nets have now. Having a Kyrie Irving and a Kevin Durant in the future, you're going to be able to, you're going to need to hit those spot up threes in the corner on the, the wing, whatever it may be. And then obviously, I think durability is something that's a concern. He's been banged up. Obviously, last year was kind of a freak injury, but there's been little injuries here and there. Yeah, and um, before touching on that, uh, pre-injury, his free throw percentage was at 72%. So a decent enough number, obviously not he could amazing. He should be 80, though. I think 80 is what you expect out of a guard. I think it is, but even like D'Angelo Russell was at like 78%. So I think it, it, that's what it should be. Karis Levert is this weird sort of in-between player, and we'll talk about more position sort of stuff later. Uh, but in terms of durability, he was he was drafted so low because of his his injury history, because of the injury worries surrounding him. Uh, and obviously, we talk about the Nets training staff and the fact that for the most part, he's been healthy. It's the freak injuries that have happened. So if those freak injuries, you take those out, you know, I think Karis Levert is a relatively healthy player. Um, Hopefully last season, 71 games, which I think is a good number. Everybody misses a couple games for an ankle sprain or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think 70 plus games is, it should be an aim of most players. I think that it's almost um, futile and and almost uh, risky to, to try and play 82 games. Obviously, that's the goal at the end of the day. You want to be healthy for as long as possible, but you also want to manage your body and be peaking at the right points. And, and obviously, um, we know how uh, risk-averse the, the Brooklyn Nets training staff are and how careful they are in that sort of respect. But, yeah, I think hopefully uh, injuries and three-point shooting, all those things come together. But um, it'll be interesting to see if all those things come together, he's almost going to become um, – he's going to be the guy, the second, third guy on the Brooklyn Nets, and it's going to make – Things so much better for him, but you know some of the questions that we get from our, um, from the listeners, um, they're going to be fun to address as well, and they sort of touch on what we've been sort of hinting at a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, the spot up shooting and the shooting from three to free throw, whatever it is, you know, this is how he becomes a complete player, and that's just going to be huge for Kenny Atkinson because we know about the top two guys on the team and KD and Kyrie. So, but what areas do you want to see him improve this season other than shooting? Yeah, I think that the things we sort of touched on, and this is sort of. Um, tying in how the team can help him. Um, and I'm going to steal an idea that you said on his season review uh, podcast was utilizing him in some more cutting actions. <laughs> That's what uh, I have on my list right now too. Thanks. <laughs> uh, no, no. Well, you said it like like two months or it was May or something, so a couple months ago. Um, but then also playing him, continuing to play him with second units uh, and alongside Jared Allen because they have that embedded chemistry. We know how good they are in the pick and roll together. You know, just guys in general that has chemistry with. You know, he, we know he's got off-court chemistry with Spencer Dinwiddie. Didn't really look in too much into the numbers with Spence uh, of that sort of two-man lineups, but I know he didn't have a great sort of um, chemistry with D'Angelo Russell. It wasn't amazing. 
And then obviously surrounding him with shooters so you can utilize his passing. And then DeAndre obviously getting him some space as a screener so he can hit that pull-up three and then he can hit hard into the lane. And we know how he, you know, he hits Jared Allen as a lob threat. I think DeAndre could certainly be uh, positive for, the, for him there too. Yeah, you pretty much covered everything. You know, obviously you want to see the improvement off ball. I think the off ball movement needs to improve in terms of cutting, but also if he improves as a spot up shooter, it's just going to create more space for the other players in the nets. And then, like you said, how the team can help. I think let him work sometimes too. You know, we know he's really good in isolation situations. If he's hot, let him get some work in. And like you said, with DeAndre being there, you have DeAndre and Jared Allen. Pair him up with those guys because that way he has a pick and roll partner. We know last year Ed Davis not necessarily an above the rim threat. Still had some success with Karras, but not as much as a guy like DeAndre could possibly have. And like you said, you obviously want shooters out there. Anytime anyone can operate in the pick and roll or is a really good ISO driver, you want to give them space. And that's what Karras can do. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, verticality. You know, we've got two centers on the roster that have, you know, a really quality in that sort of area. And I think that that plays in and ties in nicely with, you know, our three, our three ball handlers who really know how to work the pick and roll, um, you know, create space for themselves, but also uh, be able to, give the pass off when it when it's known when it's called for uh, Karras certainly does it Spencer certainly does it and Kyrie certainly does it even though he's a uh, much more proficient and effective scorer yeah I'm really interested to see how Karras translates some of the game that we saw at the end of the postseason specifically in game three and game four into this season because there was moments that he looked like he was a pure star some of the moves early in that game four game were ridiculous yeah, it's it's certainly obviously probably one of the number one questions that that we got was like how he's going to work side alongside Kyrie and you know how does that stunt his development at all? Does Kyrie take him more touches from him? But you know we'll get to his usage. We'll get to those questions in more depth uh, a little more later in the episode. So obviously, I don't think I have to ask this, but starter or bench player, obviously a starter for me. It's starter, but like I sort of said in terms of utilizing him, I want to see him play with the second units because. If Jared Allen's out there as a backup center, um, you know, if Rodion's is coming off the bench, Karras has chemistry with those guys. And we saw him for large chunks of last season, the season before, him really dominate as a player with the second units. And, you know, staggering those minutes a little bit, I think is something that can be really positive uh, and, and, and lead to him being more effective as a player because we know how well he <clears throat> how well he did, like you said last season, with the ball in his hand as an ISO scorer, as a player who could just dominate and solidify himself as like a, a star by himself. Yeah, and I think the great thing, hopefully Kenny does this, to stagger the minutes. You know, you have Kyrie, you have Spencer, and you have Karras, all guys you want to get the ball a lot. You know, you're playing Kyrie and Karras, you sub one of them out, you bring Spencer in, then you sub the other guy back out, and then you put the third one in. So I think uh, there should be time for him to play with the first unit and the second unit. But uh, minutes-wise, where do you think he sits? Um, I'm going, this isn't conservative because he hasn't averaged this ever in his career, but I'm going to go 30 minutes a game. Um, I think before the injury, I'm, I'm looking at the numbers. He averaged 29, uh, 29 or so minutes per game. Uh, so I think that it's probably around that number, 29.7. Um, so I think 30 minutes a game, um, it's going to be interesting because I think Kane's going to be forced to play some of these guys longer than he has in the past. Like I said on the previous Kyrie episode, only Joe Harris and DeAndre Russell average above 30 minutes. But you know you can't be giving those that little of minutes to guys like Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and even Karis LeVert. If he's now sort of this star guy, uh, I think Karis LeVert, 30 minutes for me is a conservative number, but I think he, could, he could get as high as 33. Uh, but I'll probably stick to, to the lower end because I know how Kenny works. 
Yeah, I'm going to go with 33, actually, because I think there's going to be an interesting role for Karras, and you hinted at it earlier. He's going to play a lot of minutes at shooting guard, but I think he's going to be forced to play a decent amount of minutes at small forward as well because of the limitations of the roster with the suspension of Chandler and then obviously the situation with Rodion's. Yeah, and I, I'm going to save the stat for, for the question a little bit later in the pod, but looking up his on, on basketball reference, the time, how what they considered time spent at the two, spent at the three, and even at the four, it was pretty illuminating. And I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm guess I'm, I'm teasing on a podcast, which is weird, but you know, <laughs> wait, wait in here. It'll probably be about five or 10 minutes away, guys, and you'll find out the, 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 the wonderful stat. What is the usage rate you have for Karis next year? I'm going to 25%. <laughs> That's what I have too. 25. I think he was yeah. right around 24 last year. Obviously, yeah. a little jump in the playoffs makes sense. But what do you got for stat line? So our stat line, I'm going 17 points, 4.2 rebounds, five assists, 1.3 steals, uh, 34% from three, 44% from the field, and 72% from the free throw line, which was again like we touched on what he averaged before the injury. So I went with 18 points per game, five rebounds, four assists, 46% from the field, 36% from three. I'll go free throw. I'll go with 73. And I think I'll average like 1.8 steals, maybe even possibly two, because I think that's going to be an area yeah. where you to capitalize on. If you want to be a really good defensive player, you get to deflections. And now it's kind of translating that to a full season. Um, before we move on, I think this is probably an interesting question, just talking about that. And I think you bringing up that steal number. What is the number that you want to see jump the most or you want to see be effective the most? Is it the scoring? Is it the rebounding? Is it the three-point percentage? Is it the steals? Is it the free-throw percentage? You know, <clears throat> we've spoken a lot about all the improvements we want him to make. If you can only pick one uh, in terms of his box score stat line, what's the one you want to see jump the most? I think three-point percentage. I think three-point percentage will separate him as a player because then he becomes incredibly difficult to defend because now he's able to hit you with a pump pick at the three-point line. We already know he's a great driver, has the poise to kind of work in between and hit some of those floater shots as well. So if he's able to knock down a three-point shot consistently on spot-ups, he's putting a ton of pressure on the defense and also helping the Nets offense and making his teammates better. Yeah, I think that it seems like a cop-out answer, but it, it's you know I think it's probably the right answer. If you give an A, B, C, or D, you're taking that one. But I'll go with something different just to <clears throat> just to change it up. I'll go with that steal number. You know, if that steal number is 1.8 to two steals, um, then he could be you know an all-defensive caliber player and really elevate the Nets uh, as a defensive team, which was surprising because last year we were a better defensive team than offensive team, and a lot of that was because of the acumen and capabilities that Kalsovert showed. Yeah, I agree. And I think a lot of the steal numbers and the defensibility will almost depend on his teammates and how much they're able to score. If he has a decent load offensively, then obviously you're not going to be able to translate as much defensively. Yeah, it's all about the, the energy transfer, I guess. Exactly. Having some balance, obviously, when you're an elite, elite player, it doesn't really matter quite as much. Maybe Karras will be at that level this year. We're yet to see. But um, where will Karras be at the end of the season in terms of like shooting guards in the East? Yeah, so I sort of looked at... We, when we chatted about it on um, the season review, we talked about top 10 sort of range or whatever. I think because Karras isn't like a true sort of shooting guard or true sort of um, guard in that sort of sense, I looked at it more as him as like a third option. What could he be in terms of we're looking at like the best third options in the league? You know, you look at like Draymond Green or Clay Thompson. Obviously, Clay's probably number two now. Um, for me, Karras can establish himself by the end of this season as one of the premier third options on the team. If you're the premier third option, third best player on a championship level team, uh, then you are doing very well for yourself. And I think I looked at also his all defensive sort of 
um, capabilities. I think that if he's in that all-defensive sort of conversation, there are some great guard defenders and great sort of wing defenders and utility defenders in this league. You know, Jimmy Butler, Drew Holiday, Victor Oladipo. If Karis Levert can elevate himself to even near that conversation, then I think he's going to be having a tremendous season. Yeah, I agree. I think, especially you mentioned being the third player, and if you're the third best player and you're a complete guy and you can play both ends of the floor, it is so helpful for the team on so many different levels, especially the head coach and Kenny Atkinson. Yeah, I think that it's almost underrated. You know, I think team composition, you obviously, the, the number one thing you want is to have that superstar, those superstars at the at the top, you know, you Kevin Durant, you Kyrie Irving, but then you need the, the roster composition under them. You need the role players. You know, you look at the Clippers, you look at the, the Raptors from last season. You look at the Warriors in their really strong heyday. They had real depth. Even the Cleveland Cavaliers, when LeBron was dominating, and LeBron continues to dominate, but LeBron was dominating in Cleveland, he had some good guys coming off the bench, like you know J.R. Smith, all these sort of guys who are able to contribute capably. And I think uh, it's almost the next best thing. You want to have the best talent, but you also want the gap between your second and third player, second best player and third best player, not to be absolutely dramatic. And obviously... Kyrie Irving is, you know, a top 10 player in the NBA. Karis Levert's probably top 50. I think we had about 44 around that range. Uh, 49, sorry, um, for OTG Basketball's top 50. But he is still, uh, as a third best guy, one of the best in the league if he has a good season. Yeah, no, I agree, Jack. And, it, you know, we, we've talked about it a lot in the buzz, and it's been a topic for a lot of Nets Twitter and Nets media. You know, Karis is possibly the guy that can take the Nets from being contenders to being a possible dynasty down the line because of that potential he has to be a star in this league. But, Jack, you got a big question for me on Karis before we get into the Twitter questions? Yeah, so for me, we've touched on it a little bit, Nick. Uh, can Karis get over his health issues to have a sustained run of success individually? Um, we've seen it for in spurts. And we saw it in a, a really um, a high-level spurt at the start of the season. Um, for me, you know, like you said, if he can play 70 games of what he was doing pre-injury, uh, then that question uh, is put to rest. Yeah, I think he can. I think he's a guy who's committed to taking care of his body. And like you mentioned earlier, you know, one of the best medical teams in the league and they kind of play things safe. I think he can have a really successful, healthy season. Yeah. Did you have one? I had, I mean, I kind of twisted it into the top five because I had one related to three-point percentage, but we pretty much dove that down. Done. So let's dive into some of these Twitter questions. I know we got a good chunk for today. We have plenty, and I was uh, very happy that, you know, people are responding, people are listening. So thank you to, to everyone that did respond. And um, we'll start off with Tyler Galanti, uh, at Tyler J. Galanti. How do you think his defensive ability can and will improve playing with Kyrie and KD? And kind of touching on something I just hinted at, if he's able to kind of lessen his offensive workload and focus more defensively, I think he should be able to improve in that area almost, I wouldn't want to say dramatically, but a higher effort level consistently every possession. That's essentially how I think he's going to improve, purely because of the fact that the load on him offensively won't be as burdensome, that it will allow him to be really, really locked in on the defensive end and, you know, uh, playing against the likes of you know Devin Booker and James Harden and, and really looking on those guys because we know how taxing it can be. And when you look at some of the best defensive players in the league, they're almost pure defensive players and sort of spot-up shooters. You, know, you look at Patrick Beverly, these sort of types. Whereas Karis Levert, because he has such you know a tremendous offensive skill set, it's hard to sort of be engaged for for the full sort of you know 30, 35 minutes that you're out on the floor. But you know guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo, guys like Kawhi Leonard, these sort of superstars. Obviously, the coaching around him will be important as well. How they sort of manage that if they want Karis to be taking those you know uh, late late game 
uh, defensive possessions against the sort of stars, you don't want to really tire him out too much uh, in the early points of the game. Um, so I think it's going to be on the coaches too. But playing alongside Kyrie and KD, there's just going to be so much, uh, so much less uh, emphasis on him to be a tremendous offensive player, which is why I was a bit conservative in the numbers for him. And hopefully those, those guys will just allow him to be more effective with the same amount of usage. So I think for me, it's just about the time that he'll have to be more defensively engaged. Yeah, and you can even think about it too like this is offensively things just might be easier because the team has more talent. You know, there just won't be as much attention on you if Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are on the floor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but we'll move on to OTG Ryder, UK Clipper. Uh, really, really love the question. It's a good one as well. And I think we've touched on it a little bit at UK Clipper. What will be deemed a successful season, Karis, and what's his expected elevation? Um, I think, you know, a successful season would kind of be around the numbers that we put out there. You know, we want to see the scoring kind of be where he was pre-injury. And I think um, expectations and kind of the elevated elevation that we want to see from him is kind of somewhere in between pre-injury Karras and postseason Karras. You know, you don't want to necessarily expect him to put those postseason numbers up throughout an 82-game season because they were extremely efficient. But if he's able to kind of get in between somewhere between that pre-injury and those postseason numbers, I think that'd be really successful. And that'd be kind of the elevation I'm looking for. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Nick. And I'll probably, you know, shorten it down to something pretty sort of simple. If he's playing, if he's healthy, if he's playing 70 games, I think that we're going to see some sort of success from him. And for me, that if Carlos Levert is healthy for 69 games, 70 games plus, then that's going to be a successful season because I think we are going to see those natural improvements because we know how motivated he is. Uh, we know that if his body's healthy, he's going to be confident in, in his body because obviously when he was coming back, you could just see that he was tentative. And he was uh, had every reason to be because you don't necessarily have that trust in your body yet. You know, you're going out there in the same you know arena, same setting where you did that injury. And obviously there is going to be hesitation. So if Karras is healthy, I think we're going to see the elevation on in all the sort of areas we talked about, the three-point percentage, the defensive numbers, the effectiveness as a scorer. So if he's healthy and that you know pertains to his confidence, then we should see growth. We should see elevation. 100% spot on. Obviously, health is the most crucial factor in him having a successful season. And I think it relates to team as well. But we'll get to D-Rock, and I think we've hit some of D-Rock's questions already. Um, but we'll get to, we've done the strengths and weaknesses, uh, but we'll get to what determines his value to us. Ah, that's a great question. I think that's like a deeper question about like what, how do you gauge the value of an NBA player? I think his value is, you know, scoring for the team offensively and being a great defender defensively. And then he can do some of the little things offensively too, like cutting to the basket, knocking down your three-point shot. So I think his value is being a scorer, someone who can run the pick and roll, and then also somebody who can throw any other team's best, probably offensive wing and expect them to kind of slow them down or at least make their life difficult. Yeah, I think looking off the court, I sort of thought about this because we, we, know, we, know, we know about everything, but we know that Karras is the perfect teammate. You know, we know how friendly he is. We know how warm he is. We know how personable he is just from everything we see and we know about him. And we know how you know, he literally doesn't have an ego. There is no ego in Karras Levert. He is more than happy to be coached. He's more than happy to see to, to the other guys and let them have their shine. So I think that his value as the third guy in that sort of role, uh, I think is tremendous. So for me, that's how I look at the question because we know, and every listener that is listening right now knows how great he is on the court. Um, I think that it's, it's worth touching the fact that he is one of the best guys and is almost epitomizes uh, everything about the Brooklyn Nets that is great off the court. 
No, that's an excellent point, Jack. And I think he provides the value not only as just being a great teammate, but somebody who's kind of helped turn the Nets culture around. And it's kind of, I think Kenny and Sean has re referred to him as their baby because he was really their first draft pick. And he's kind of everything you want in a player on and off the court because he works so hard and he's great with everyone in the organization. And he's a Absolutely. guy who's willing to listen to the vets too, which I think will help him having Kyrie and KD around. Definitely, definitely. Um, an all-star. Can we see Karis Levert as an all-star in 2019-20? Yeah, I think we could. I, I don't think I'm willing to lock it in. I think we might have discussed this on a previous show. But I think it's a real possibility this year, especially if the Nets are having a lot of success. You know, if you're not a great team, you're probably not going to get two all-stars. We already know Kyrie Irving is most likely a lock. So the Nets are going to have to be putting up some good numbers and probably be one of those top five teams in the East for Karis Levert to probably get in there. I would say they'd have to be a top three team before the All-Star break for, for him to get in there. But if the Nets are sort of shining and, you know, gaining, garnering the same amount of buzz as we learned last season, but on a more national scale rather than sort of under the radar love uh, every now and then, and the Nets sort of establish themselves because they, we have the superstar talent, you know, then Karis LeVert, you're naturally sort of going to get that shine. So I think he can't be an All-Star. I'll probably put it 25% chance of, of that happening. Do you, do you have a percentage number? I know you love your percentages, Nick. Uh, let's go through the guards in the East, and then let's make our percentages. Let's give a, a good dive in. So we got Kyrie as a lock. Yeah. Who who else are we locking in the guard spots? Bradley Beal, uh, probably. Bradley Kemba Beal Walker. Kemba Walker. Is Jimmy Butler considered a guard these days? Ah, uh, That's a great question. That is a great question. I'm not sure if he's going to play guard or small forward. But and isn't Ben Simmons considered... Wait, is Ben Simmons still considered a guard in the all-star sort of voting? That's the, that's like the thing for me. Like, what do they consider? Are they forwards or guards? Because like Karis Levert as well, forward or guard. Obviously, he'd most likely be considered as a guard. But um, you had a it call out as well. It won't matter as much because the I think the positional voting will only matter for the starters where the bench unit is, you know, picked on differently and it's not based off of voting as much. Yeah. So I think they'll be able to get away with having, you know, just the best available guys. Yeah, that's... Totally fair. Um, hey, so, Lowry's yeah, an interesting one. I think that Toronto are a strong enough fan base, uh, a very strong fan base, that you know if they are what we sort of want to be in that sort of third seed range and they're really dominating, then I could really see Pascal and Kyle Lowry getting the love. And I think from the sort of coaches, sort of um, where, the, where the coaches come into play, they love giving the, the, the love to the vets and the guys who have been around the wings a little bit. So I think Kyle Lowry is, is a likely sort of pick. Um, I think that if we're talking about guys, Karasovic could be around the sort of range of, you know, Eric, an Eric Bledsoe sort of type, where sort of what D'Angelo Russell was last season, is sort of an injury replacement. I don't think it's going to be, you know, unless he has this absolutely outstanding season and puts it all together. Who knows? We, we want that to happen. But uh, thinking realistically, I think he's probably likely as an injury replacement or that sort of 15th guy, 24th guy, or 12th guy sort of picked um, on the roster. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point you brought up about Lowry and Siakam. I could see the difference being whoever has more wins at that point is the team that's getting, you know, the two all-stars being that like maybe the Raptors don't get two if they're not having a successful season. There's also a, a small possibility that Kyle Lowry's traded at that time. 
Like, yeah, we, yeah. we've done the Raptors preview with a uh, Nick Cuvallo and Tim Hanna, and they were talking about the discussion, Hey, they might trade their vets away. And now, you know, obviously Toronto's in a bad position. I think Siakam would definitely still make it, but Lowry might not even be in town. So that could open up a spot and obviously knock on wood. There's always injuries too. So I think I'm looking at 40% because I also think this is a good year for Karras to maybe get in the all-star game because his offensive workload should still be relatively high because maybe next season you might see some of those offensive numbers drop when Kevin Durant's back for the full year. Uh, yeah, that's fair. I think that he, if we're talking about striking while the iron is hot, I think that now is probably the best time. And a guy that I'll throw in there, or in terms of like fan vote, Derek Rose is going to get the fan vote. But a guy that I think legitimately has a shot, and especially if they're a team that is fighting for a playoff position, is Trey Young. I yeah. think that he he's gonna he has such a tremendous fan base, individual fan base already. Um, and if the Hawks are exceeding expectations, you know him and John Collins leading the way, uh, Trey's going to get some love. Yeah, and he puts up the numbers. You know, yeah. he just has a major pop to his game, and obviously a lot's going to probably depend on Atlanta's success, but that's a great name to throw in there too. So I'll put it at 40%, but let's hit another question, Jack. Yeah, so let's get to the next one. The next one is best playing the two or the three from D-Rock. I personally think he's best playing the two because he's not undersized and he has the quickness to match up with other twos, and he probably has a little bit of a physical advantage over some guys at the two spot. So I think physically I prefer him to be at the two. Now, Nick, this is where it's going to surprise you. This is where I come in with my uh, basketball reference, the one that everyone has been waiting for, where the position estimate by basketball reference has him last season playing only 8% of his time, the least amount of his career, at the two spot. And I think some of that's basketball reference, you know, just right. kind of doing their percentages because let's let's go back and look at some games. You know, you look at I, the stuck out as like the big shooting guard matchups, matchup with Drew Holiday, the entire New Orleans game. Drew Holiday matched up with him against the Pacers, Oladipo on both ends of the floor. So I think he's really played the two-guard spot. Maybe sometimes in the lineup they might consider uh, Joe Harris the two and Karis LeVert the three. But I think two-wise, it, it just makes more sense in my eyes. And obviously matchups always matter in the NBA too. Uh, I, I, and something that's weird to me is that he, he spent 16% at power forward last season, according to them, which is surprising. I think that we're, we're sort of touching I wonder if they bit. might do it based off of height, and he might have been like, you know, maybe the tallest or tied for the tallest on the floor or something like that because he definitely didn't play 16% at power forward. At least I don't think so. It'd be interesting. Basketball reference, hit us up. Uh, but 70, <laughs> 70%, 77% at the small forward, apparently, it says here. But if you're adding up those numbers, it equals 101% as well. So basketball rough reference, get your numbers right. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that as a three, he can be really capable. Because if we're talking about the... We've talked about the three-guard lineups last season you know, at length. But this season, it's almost even more intriguing because we have a guy who's incredibly effective, like Kyrie Irving, as a scorer. Um, and if you're looking at... Kyrie Spencer Karras, you know, if you're seeing that as a possible closing lineup, then Karras is the three in that. Um, so and I'm almost... I think also like the way you look at his three, because when you look at closing lineups, a lot of times teams play down where they might play two point guards or they might play two shooting guards. And it's more so he's just out on the top of the wing defending whoever's there. You know, like Eric Gordon's going to play minutes at the three for Houston. And obviously Karras LeVert can easily match up with him size wise. I think the int intriguing thing about talking about the, the sort of forward and guard position is that is Karis LeVert going to be good enough, strong enough to guard the likes of LeBron James in closing possessions, Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George? I think Paul George is probably a guy who's almost a guy, he's almost similar in Karis LeVert in the fact that, but he has probably a bit more strength and maybe a couple of inches to play up that little bit more. Uh, I think that's the prototype that hopefully Karis can become. Uh, but Obviously, he is a guard slash forward, but does he have the acumen to play that little bit higher like we sort of touched on with the power forward thing? 
Uh, if we wanted to be our best defender, you know, you generally have your best defender guard the other guys and it doesn't necessarily matter what height they are. You know, Patrick Beverly was guarding Kevin Durant for uh, an extended periods in their sort of playoff series and he was pretty effective at times, but then Katie just did his thing. So you cut, Katie's almost unguardable at, at points, but I'll be intrigued Glad to see. He's on the Nets. <laughs> very, very happy that our number seven is on the Nets, but uh, I'll be intrigued to see in terms of defensively how he is used uh, against the likes of Kawhi Leonard and these sort of superstars at the wings. And that's a great point, too, talking about the four. I know Damari Carroll, not, maybe last year in an interview or the year before, talked about how he thinks Karras, as he gets older, will be able to play some minutes in terms of defending the four. And if he's able to defend positions one through four, that just adds to the switchability you have as, as your team, especially with guys like Torian Prince and Rodion Scruitz out there. So I think that is something to keep an eye on, too, defensively. We talked about the on-ball stuff, the steals and stuff, but his ability to switch on some fours in this league also really helped the Nets. Oh, absolutely. Um, and we've touched on what he needs to, to flourish on both sides of the ball. Uh, we'll finish with uh, D-Rock's last questions. Which players has he struggled against most? And I remember talking to you in the DMs trying to talk about this, and you came up with some great names. Yeah, I mean, Drew Hardy was a guy that definitely, you know, slowed him down defensively, Victor Oladipo. But then if you look at those games, I think one thing that really stuck out positively, even when he's getting slowed down a little bit offensively, he's still having an impact on the game, either defensively or some hustle plays. So I think guys do a good job of getting into him and maybe taking him as offense a little bit, but he's still able to provide an impact to the game, which I think is crucial for an NBA player. Yeah, and I remember speaking to you in terms of the fact that which players he struggled against most, it sort of relates most of himself and his own confidence. I think yeah. that he could be his own worst enemy a lot of the time, like a lot of players. You know, these players are incredibly capable and can get their own shot. It can do anything on the basketball court, but, you know, your inner demons and your inner sort of self-worth and the, the sort of ticking clock that's happening in the brain and the inner chatter is almost the, the worst enemy because we know um, how good he is and he can get his own shot. He was doing it against some incredible defenders on one of the best defensive teams in the Philadelphia 76ers uh, in the playoffs. So, um, I think that he's almost, rather than other players, uh, it's almost Karasovic himself uh, that he struggles. He struggled against most. Uh, even his last shooting season. consistency, really. That's what he struggled yep. against the most. And when he shoots well, his game's completely different because now people are coming out to the three-point line. If he's not knocking down those shots, now he's playing with a little bit of a cushion, a little bit harder to get to the rim where he wants to go. Definitely. Now uh, we'll get to another question from Nick Boylan, uh, at Nick J. Boylan from uh, otgbasketball.com, by the way. Uh, how do you think Kyrie and Karras will work together as opposed to D'Lo and Karras? And you mentioned this early, you know, Karras and D'Lo didn't necessarily have the best chemistry. Off the court, they were friends, and they've known each other for quite some time. And we kind of saw some chemistry develop uh, pre-injury, but then obviously that all changed, and D'Angelo's role in the change dramatically changed after that, too. So I like the fact that Kyrie and Karras are spending a lot of time together, and we kind of talk about the defensive impact Karras can have, and that's great for a guy next to Kyrie. So, so far, I think they're going to work a little bit better, but obviously we have to see it on the court. Yeah, I looked up the, the advanced stats. So together as a two-man lineup, uh, they had a 108.4 offensive rating and a 109.7 defensive rating. So a negative 1.3, Russell and Levert. So efficiency-wise, I think Kyrie uh, and Karras should be better because I think Kyrie himself is always going to be uh, effective no matter who he's with generally um, unless it's you know some scrubs um, but the key like you sort of said is, is building chemistry uh, they didn't have that time a lot of, like you know D'Angelo and, and Karras was always very much interrupted it would be like you know they're back but then it's like oh well D'Lo has a, a couple of games off or, or Karras is managing an injury so I think 
more than anything, um, like you sort of said, off the court, that, that pertains to time. But then on the court, just being able to play together and figure stuff out. And obviously training camp is coming up soon. And then the preseason games when we head to China. Um, I think all those sort of things are going to be invaluable to building that chemistry. And I think that they will be more effective just because looking at it, Kyrie's a better player than DeAndre Russell. And I think he makes players better around him uh, just purely and simply because of that fact. Not to say that D'Angelo doesn't because he gets guys really good shots and is a great passer, but I think it's a two-man duo. I think that they're going to work that a little bit better together. In one area that just sticks out, you know, Kyrie's a better off-ball player than D'Angelo who doesn't really do a ton off-ball. So I think that'll really help Karras too. Yeah, and I think Kyrie is a better driver than D'Angelo Russell. I think that's pretty easy and one of the best, most creative drivers and, and finishes in the game. So I think that being able to create each other space uh, in, in a lot of ways, we know how good of a driver Karras is as well. So I think they're going to be able to create space for each other uh, on the floor in terms of just offensively too. Yeah, and just able to initiate the offense and get things moving where it's not like, okay, I need to break down my guy. He's already moving at this point. Now it's going to be a lot easier for me to get to the point I want to be at. Definitely. Uh, we'll get to our boy Dwayne uh, at D-A-R-C. D-A-R-Q-N-Y-T-27 at Dark Knight 27. A lot has been made about Kyrie's potential to screw up team chemistry, but not enough is made about Karras' ability as the consummate net to bring harmony. He's a friend of KD. He hangs out with Kyrie. Team speaks glowingly of his humble grit. What's your take on him being our proactive ambassador? My guy, Dwayne, that was one of the most eloquent and well-put-together questions. Love the words... Nick Music and I love when guys use like fancy words and eloquent words. Like if you're using consummate and proactive, glowingly, all these sort of <laughs> words, then you're going to be a star in my eyes. Dwayne, keep it up, man. You don't need that thesaurus. Yeah, yeah that, that is a great question. Well thought out as well. And we've kind of hinted at this earlier in the show. And I think this is why the Nets really believe in Karis and they gave him that extension, even though there's probably some questions about his health and where he's going to be at. But we talked about it being kind of a steel contract. But what he provides a team off the court and being really a team leader, and we saw him kind of come to that role early on last season, it probably faded a little bit with the injury being away from the team a bit. But I think having him there, already having a relationship, developing with Kyrie, knowing Kevin Durant in the past, and also he's gotten a lot of respect, I think, from NBA players. I think Jimmy Butler, after a press conference, said, like, that boy can ball. And, like, Jimmy Butler is not one to really praise an opposing player. So I think Karras is also getting some respect around the league, and that should really help him with the new teammates and really help that whole Kyrie storyline. Yeah, it certainly will. Um, I think that, you know, it's we, we speak about Spencer Dimity in relation to Kyrie Irving a lot because it seems as if he was one of the more uh, proactive guys in terms of landing him. You know, obviously they had the established relationship um, going to the, the business school at Harvard together. But Karras just by who he is as a person, like you sort of said, and like Dwayne sort of said, just the, the humility that he possesses, just the, the low ego, the low maintenance sort of style that he has. You know, I think that you just need for the locker room dynamics, you need those sort of guys. And because you have that sort of guy who has a tremendous level of talent, you know, it just fits in perfectly. Um, I think that he's going to bring things together in an underrated sort of aspect as Dwayne sort of uh, spoken about. You know, I think that it, for, for chemistry and on-court on chemistry to occur, and we're going to speak about this um, in one of the news podcasts, and probably by the time this comes out, we would have discussed it. You know, chemistry is, is a hard thing to sort of figure out, and it's not necessarily something you can go, oh, well, we need three shooters and, and two defensive guys, or whatever. It's not an on-court sort of thing. It just sort of happens. And, you know, we saw how it can in, uh, explode uh, and implode uh, in, in Boston, but we also saw it w- with our own team in the Brooklyn Nets, uh, how that harmonious team chemistry can get you an extra five to ten wins and sort of 
increase your level as a team just because you guys are just so close and so in sync. And I think Karras is going to be a really key component to that. When Kyrie is doing his thing as, and establishing himself as a leader and when KD gets back too, because I think that he has this sort of uh, mentality that he's going to be cool either way. I'm happy taking a step back. I'm happy when I need to step up. Uh, obviously, you know, you want some consistency in role. And I think in the past, when it's related to Spencer Dimwitty, that inconsistency has led to some inconsistencies in form. So I think you want to try and make it as easy as possible for him to be as successful as he can. But just who he is, it's, it's going to be really positive for the Nets, no matter what, however long he is on this Nets team. Yeah, he just seems like a really likable guy. And in comparison, you know, one of the guys who uh, Kyrie didn't get along with, the shooting guard Jalen Brown, you know, has more of an aggressive personality. And like you said, you know, Karras is more of this humble guy that doesn't really have an ego. So I think he's just going to fit well. And I think you mentioned like him being okay taking a step back. And I think some of that comes with his game because he's like, all right, if I have to take a step back offensively, I can provide more defensively. So having different avenues to attack the game allows you to be more comfortable in your role. Definitely. Uh, and a final question from another OTG writer, at underscore Charles Allen. Charles, uh, what will it look like for Levert when KD comes back? Will it limit his potential slash development? Could it eat into his minutes? I definitely don't think it'll eat into his minutes because I think KD's going to be probably playing mostly the four, maybe a little bit at the three at points. And I think Kenny even mentioned playing him some at the five and the one. So I think it won't really impact Karras' minutes because he's one of the best players in this team. Could it limit him a little bit in terms of potential offensively? Maybe, but he's going to have pretty much most of this year until KD comes back to kind of develop those skills and kind of become the player he needs to become. But like we talked about, there's not necessarily a ton of areas for him to improve to become this amazing player. It's pretty simple. Three-point percentage, free-throw percentage, off-ball presence, and just continuing to you know pick up on the little things, including like basketball IQ. Yeah, you'd like to think that having talent around you doesn't necessarily hinder your development because we know... Uh, I, I think that there is a potential where it could be. I think it's it's certainly a worthwhile question asking, but Karras isn't necessarily a, a rookie and early, or, a, or a sophomore anymore. You know, he's established himself as a player, and yes, he still has some growth left to do, despite the fact that he's only you know 24, despite the fact that he is 24, 25 years old. I know that you've said this at length on, on numerous pods about Karras, the fact that you know he hasn't had the development time in college. He hasn't had a lot of on-court time in comparison to a lot of other sort of younger guys who have played heaps of games at, at college and high school and the like. So Karras is still growing as a player. But I don't think it's going to develop, uh, stunt his development at all. I think hopefully it should affect his efficiency in a positive manner. Uh, and like you said, the fact that you know KD isn't going to be back, if at all, you know, until the latter points of the season. So if he's got 60, 65 games with, with Kyrie, they've got an embedded chemistry, an embedded sort of on-court and off-court chemistry, then all you have to do is work in the fact of Kevin Durant, one of the most efficient scorers in the history of the game, and the guy who can literally score at will from any point of the court and can play some really good defense too, um, I think it's going to only make things better. And if you have KD as a high-level defender still, you know, having Kevin Durant and, and Karol Silvert, two incredibly long guys, um, and, and defenders that can really impact positively. Um, I'm, it's weird. I'm probably more intrigued to see KD and Karras than Kyrie and Karras, which is probably maybe because I just love KD and I've, I've, I've profused my love about him before. Not to say I don't love Kyrie, and I think it's more the fact that you know Kyrie and Karras is going to be a thing. That's the, probably uh, a number one thing in terms of how the Nets, how successful the Nets are early season, mid-season, and post-season, because these guys are going to be the two best players for the large chunks of the season. But I'm really excited to see KD and Karras when, they're, when they are on the court together. You want to see KD and baby KD? 
KD and maybe KD. I mean, that is really intriguing. And I think one thing that really bodes well, we talked about Kyrie and KD, uh, Kyrie and Levert developing the relationship. But KD and Levert have worked out in the past, and it kind of tells you that Levert obviously has a high respect for Kevin Durant and is going to take things away from him. He's one of the best offensive players that ever play in the NBA, and this is a guy who's com- becoming a star. Obviously, I think Kevin Durant's going to be able to give him some pointers to help him improve his game. Yeah, I think that like as a coach off the court, you know, we know we've heard the like you know the sound bites of how intelligent he is as a player. Imagine him imparting that wisdom to our guy Kyrie. So it's like, look, you know, you got to move your foot a little bit here. You know, we've heard Kobe uh, Kobe Bryant speak about you know how he could defend Kevin Durant easily because he just knew what he was moving into. You know, these basketball players right now are probably the smartest in the history of the sport. They are savants of the game. They are dedicated to their craft. They are obsessed with their craft. And then Kobe was like, then he just had this counter move and I just couldn't guard him anymore. He had he moved, <laughs> to, he moved to his left and then he would move to his right. Now he just moves to both sides. So I think KD already knows what Karras is like as a player. Obviously, they've worked out together. So I think spending that time together on road trips and at home, he's going to be able to go to him. Look, Karras... You, know, you look a little bit wonky here, or your mechanics look a little bit like this here. And obviously, the assistant coaches have their role in that um, and have had an incredible impact on, on Karras already. But, you know, adding another coach and a guy with, you know, the, the amount of intelligence and the amount of history that uh, Kevin Durant has had, you know, I'm excited to see how they, all those guys can impart their wisdom. You know, I think we're, we're naturally more positive, but there is, you know, conversely, you know, he could get maybe one or two minutes less. That could affect his, you know, just general mentality. I don't think it will because I think if we're looking at it, that's more likely to be a case with Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan. But in terms of, you know, limiting his development, he might not have the ball in his hands as much because I would rather have the ball in Kyrie and, and KD's hand a lot. But if you need to, Karras is there as an option. So um, I think that there is a low downside scenario to the, the limiting of, of the development of Karras as he continues to establish himself. Yeah, and I think some of that, too, is going to fall on the coaching. I mean, we talked about staggering yeah. the minutes early on. How does that impact things about who's getting touches here and there and keeping guys 100% fresh? But like you said, we're positive. I think there's a lot of positives to take away that the media obviously doesn't talk about because they want to point out more of the negative things. But I think there is really plenty of positive for some of these guys to help the Nets develop as players. And Durant, you, like you mentioned, one of the smartest guys in the league, helped Karras develop some of these counters. And he has fresh experience going against every player in the NBA except the rookie class. Yeah, I mean, KD just, I think that, you know, if we're talking about the smartest basketballs in the game, it's almost a cop-out. But Kevin Durant and, you know, LeBron James are, like, remember, we remember when, like, LeBron James in in a post-media conference was, like, recounting just these play-by-play-by-play-by-plays. You know, I think that the the level of passion that he has for the game, you know, we know that Karras has a a real passion and confidence too, but, you know, you you just feel that when when you're hanging around that and obviously an 82-game season is such a slog and then you've got playoffs as well, you're naturally going to take on some of the traits and some of the love uh, that those guys sort of pass on to you. But um, I think that, you know, we've done Kyrie, we've done Karras now. Um, It's going to be interesting to see those two are the biggest guys. And like you sort of said, Nick, earlier in the pod, Karras's form could be the, the big determinant on how high the Nets finish in terms of their ceiling. Um, it's going to be intriguing to see. And Jack, do we have one more question, I think? Oh, yes. Uh, do you want to get that one? Because I, I, I forgot to put it in my doc, I don't think. Yeah, your boy's going to be disrespected. K-Wald Hoops, Corey Walter, and obviously my oh. co-host on the NBA Howl. He didn't comment on mine. He commented on your tweet. No, it's on yours. It's on yours. Oh, <laughs> 
I, I, think it, I, I think it makes sense that I forget Corey's question because of the the embedded beef that we supposedly have. <laughs> Obviously, we're actually dropping a Nets preview this week with Corey on the NBA outlet. We're, uh, Corey and I are doing an NBA outlet preview series. Jack's on there a couple times as well. But getting to his question, what does Karis LeVert's fullest potential look like? Multi-time all-star, all-NBA teams, question mark, question mark. Yeah, I think All-NBA team, it's a good question from Corey. And despite the fact that I supposedly hate him, he's one of the smartest guys and, and most passionate guys when it comes to uh, the NBA world. Um, I, I think All-NBA team may be fringe levels. I think multi-time All-Star is probably the sort of thing. You know, Maybe if you're looking like an Andre Iguodala type, a Drew Holiday sort of type, guys that can make the All-Star team regularly, but are just not in there because of the fan vote or because there's just an element of saturated talent. So, you know, by the end of his career, I would hope that Karras has made two or three all-star teams, you know, maybe a third-team All-NBA. But I think to be one of the six, the six best guards in the NBA, uh, I think that's going to be Karras' ceiling. And I think because of the amount of talent right now, you know, Kyrie's still young. But, you know, there's guys on the rise like Donovan Mitchell, De'Aaron Fox. Uh, I, I think Karras is still... Somewhat of a rung under them, but you know I think he can be a, a real all-timer for this Brooklyn Nets squad. Yeah, I agree. I think fringe uh, third-team All-NBA is probably his ceiling. You know, you mentioned you brought this up probably I think two years ago. A great comparison for Karis LeVert is Drew Holiday, and we saw him play at a crazy high level. And I don't believe he made third-team All-NBA. Obviously, the Pelicans weren't very good, but it's definitely tough to get in there. And then I think multi-time All-Star. You know, probably three appearances if things go really well. Maybe as many as you know four or five. But would you say it's more likely he's to make an all defensive team than an all NBA third team? Yes. Uh, I think it's I think he is a better defender than he is, you know, his talent holistically overall because uh, I think that there are some defenders in the NBA right now that are probably gonna begin to age, whereas I think Karras hasn't even reached his defensive potential yet. I think that he's closer to reaching his offensive potential, but his defensive potential, I'm like I sort of said earlier in the episode, I'm so excited to see. Yeah, because you see some of the instincts there. Now it's kind of developing some more of the experience. And then also, I think, physically continuing to get stronger. We saw a major jump in his strength last season, especially with the finishing. And I think that helps you defensively, just having a stronger base. So as he continues to grow, I think defensively, there's a lot of improvement left. Yeah, absolutely. But Jack, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? No, thank you to every person who had a question. And thanks to everyone who even listens to me speak about Karis LeVert for more than five minutes. I appreciate it. Obviously, Karis LeVert is going to be a guy that we talk about a lot this season. Like Jack said, we appreciate the questions. We're going to continue to go through the player review, uh, player season previews and continue to ask you guys for questions on Twitter. Jack, tell them where they can find you. Uh, I am at, at the J-Man JBT, also co-host of JBT Podcast. And like Nick said, I'm going to be on the outlet plenty of times, including the Nets season preview. And you can find uh, me on Twitter at OTG underscore Nick. Also find OTG at OTG Basketball. And obviously the show on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, NetsRepublic.com, Google Play, YouTube, and obviously OTGBasketball.com. And also make sure to subscribe, review. Ratings are very much appreciated. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.